So good morning, everybody. How are we? Good. Good. So if you've been around the last few months, you know we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And obviously, we're, we're, it's taking us a little bit of time, um, but we're just really intentional people, you know? So that's something. And today, we're going we're gonna to pick up in chapter 7. Last week, we talked about worry and anxiety. And this week, we'll find Jesus talking about judging others. All right? So we're going to have some fun. And um, with that, why don't we read today's text? Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It says that Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's kind of a strange verse, but this is the word of God. All right? So we're going to work through the text line by line. We'll read a little bit, then I'll say some stuff about it. Read, say stuff. That's how it works. So verse 1. Starts, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Okay, pretty, pretty straightforward, but, but what is judging? Judging others. Well, there's a couple of things that it's not that we'll get into later, but, but let's just define it a little bit. Uh, J.C. Ryle explains it this way. I like this. He says, what our Lord means to condemn is a fault-finding spirit. A readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference. A habit of passing rash and hasty judgments. A disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbors and make the worst of them. This is what our Lord forbids. So because there were Pharisees in Jesus' time and just because people were people back then, we know that this issue that Jesus is addressing of judging others was present and prevalent in his day and time. Uh, don't judge others. Pretty simple. But it's important. Because I would argue judgmentalism is the foundational sin in the Bible. And here's what I mean. The Bible says that, the, that both the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were at the center of the garden, right? So in the paradise that God wants for us, at the center of everything, at the center of our lives, there are two things. There's a provision and a prohibition. The provision is the, of the tree of life, and it's, and it's basically this. God's going to meet our needs. This, this is the life of God you have. At the center of our life is God's provision for us. We can eat of this. But there's also a prohibition here. It's a boundary at the center of our lives. It's the prohibition that says, leave to God what belongs to God. God says, I created you for a purpose, to reflect the image of God, to receive the fullness of love from your Father, and then to love others like I have loved you. It's wonderful, and it will go well for you if you stay within that domain that I've created for you. Believe to me what belongs to me. You're not God. I am. So let me take care of the God stuff. You take care of the human stuff. And it's interesting, but the thing that the Lord specifically says that he, that he is his, that he wants to keep for himself, is this knowledge of good and evil. This is judgment. Our job is to love. That's our proper domain. Right? 1 Corinthians 13. 
doesn't matter what else we do, however impressive it may be, however religious it may look, if it's not done out, of, done out of love, it's altogether worthless. Love is the most important thing we do. It's the one thing that gives value to anything else that we do. So that's our domain. Love's our mandate. Judgment is our prohibition. Because judging others eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the antithesis of love. Because whenever we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we try to take over a piece of God's domain. And we think we know like God knows. Right? That's what the serpent said. Right? You'll be wise like God. So we end up playing God. And we think we can know people's hearts. And we think we know their value or we think we know their character. It serves no other purpose. No practical purpose other than to make us feel superior. Love is about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. That's what God does to us. Whereas judgment is ascribing worth to yourself at a cost to another. It's the antithesis of love. And that's why judgmentalism is the foundational sin of the Bible. And you may say, oh, come on. right? It's not that big a deal. Well, think about it. Every act of Killing throughout history was birthed from a judgment, right? Every murder was birthed from a judgment. You have to look at someone as inferior to engage in violence against them. Because I've judged that you don't get to be treated like a, a normal human being. Therefore, you don't even deserve to live. That's a judgment. Racism is a judgment. Sexual abuse comes out of a worth judgment of people. The Holocaust and every genocide was birthed from a judgment about a group of people. Our judgments are at the root of everything in human history that is the antithesis of love. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So yeah, it's a big deal. Verse 2. That's for the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So this verse is saying that if you're going to judge someone, expect the same standard of judgment to be applied to you. It's as simple as that. And here's the deal. You find throughout the Bible that there's this organic relationship between sin and its punishment. Right? The punishment for sin is like baked into the sin itself. as part of the moral order of the universe that God created. So one author put it like this. He said, sin is pregnant with its own judgment. And so in a real sense, sinners are punished by the effects of their own sin, or the consequences of their own sin. This is why God doesn't have to impose a sentence or carry out a sentence to bring judgment on folks. Right? The most fundamental concept of God's judgment in the Bible is that he simply lets them go, lets people go. Right? He allows the consequences of their sin to do their thing. If it just becomes an enabling for the people to continue in their sin, God has no choice but to say, i got to let you go. And it grieves the heart of God, but he turns people over to the effects of their sin. Because sin brings forth its own punishment. It ricochets back on you. The Bible has these phrases all over the place. Like the sin that you've done will fall back on your head. Right? It's a ricochet effect. Here's one good example from Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I don't know how to pronounce it. Habakkuk, chapter 2. He says this. Talking to the king of Assyria after he had raided Lebanon. He says, the violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. And your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So here, the violence is ricocheting back on him. Right? The violence that you've caused is the violence that you're going to get. 
And the terror that you caused the animals is going to terrorize you. It comes back on you. The punishment for sin is baked into the sin itself. What Jesus does is he takes this ricochet principle and he applies it to judgment. Just as the violence that the king of Assyria inflicted on Lebanon will come back at him, so also the judgments that we make will come back on us. The measure you give is the measure you're going to get. So if you don't want to be judged, don't judge. If the judgment we bring on someone is harsh or it's graceless, then we should expect the same kind of judgment to befall us. Dale Bruner, a scholar and theologian on the book of Matthew, says that this verse is one of the strongest verses in the scriptures for sympathy. And I would agree. Okay, verse 3 and 4. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? Here Jesus is giving us a picture of what he's talking about in the verse above. And, and if this illustration Jesus uses seems ridiculous, it's because it's supposed to be. Right? That's like the whole intent behind it. It's comical. Like, hey man, is that a birch tree sticking out of your left eye? Like, Jesus is invoking this image of a plank sticking out of somebody's eye to represent their own sin. It's so kind of blatant and obvious, it's funny. But it's a good point Jesus is making. We as humans, particularly as humans, have a, a propensity to undervalue our own faults and failures while overvaluing the faults and failures of other people. And Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't have high standards of behavior for ourselves or other people, right? What he's talking about, though, is, again, that temptation for us to play God. And so he makes it clear that when we assume the posture of God in other people's lives, there will be a revealing of the way we, too, have sinned. And Jesus' point here is not like, man, you're, you're a terrible person. It's just to say that you've sinned, too, right? And we, as disciples of Jesus, have to remember that particularly when we start to move to a place of judgment on another person. Verse 5. It says, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove this speck from your brother's eye. So here Jesus tells us how to avoid this powerful indictment of being called a hypocrite. And if you remember from previous teachings, hypocrite means someone who like wears a mask, right? Or in today's terms, someone who's living a lie. And here he says, in order to avoid being hypocritical in this issue of judgment, he says that, that only after you've examined yourself and dealt with our own sin will we be able to see clearly enough to actually help the other who has a speck in their eye. And this is Jesus. He's so masterful in how he says this. He's saying, like, like you actually can't see clearly until you deal with what's in your life. You have a two-by-four in your eye. You can't see well enough to help. He's concerned about the judger and the one being judged. Bonhoeffer puts it this way. He says, when I judge, I am blind to my own evil and to the grace granted the other person. One more verse and then we'll get to the other stuff. Verse 6. This is the one about the pigs. It's great. He says... Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Obviously, this is a metaphor. And what Jesus is doing is he is giving an example of what happens when we, when we 
push the things of God or the kingdom onto other people, whether they're ready for them or not. Okay? So as you look at the text, you notice these terms, dogs and pigs. What's Jesus doing here? These two examples are the way that Jesus made a distinction between those in the community of Jesus and those outside the community of Jesus or faith. Jesus isn't suggesting that certain classes of people are dogs or pigs, right? He's not saying that. Or that we should not give good things or do good things to those outside of the faith community, even though they might reject or misuse them. He's not saying that at all. I think more accurately, he's highlighting a problem. He's saying that when we reference holy things, like the the meaning or the message of the kingdom, to people who are outside of the community of Jesus, it's not always helpful. Okay, Now, this isn't an argument against evangelism. You need to be speaking and sharing the gospel with those who need it. But this is a warning for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, that in our desire to help people along in their journey to Jesus, to not try to control or correct or harass them with holy talk or with condemnation, to try to get them to do the thing we want them to do. He's saying what matters here is our approach to people. Jesus is saying that a superior kind of attitude will never help anybody. He's saying that we're to be mindful of, how, of when and how we speak to people about the message of the kingdom. And above all, we are to be aware of the temptation to see ourselves as superior, even if it's small or subtle. He's still talking about being judgmental. Because it's looking at someone who's outside of the community of faith and judging them for what they do not know because they aren't as far along as you are. And Jesus simply says, don't do that. Now the thing with judgment is, it's kind of hard to see in yourself, right? It's kind of like pride. It's not something we sit around and, go and wonder, like, am I a judgmental person, right? It's rare that any of us kind of take the time to stop and assess, but judgmentalism is one of those, those subtle attitudes, that is a license that we use to not kind of have to associate with certain people. It's a currency in our culture that we exchange with one another. And we do it often through sarcasm, or we do it through quick remarks. And it's one of these pervasive things that gets in and begins to infect the whole being. So hearing a judgment about someone is very powerful, right? Have you ever heard someone say something about someone else and like your whole opinion about that person changed in an instant? Judgment has this power to tear down in a moment what was built over a lifetime. It can infect the heart and mind to totally deconstruct a belief system about somebody in a moment. And that's why this is such a powerful and dangerous thing. It's why it's such an important thing for Jesus to speak about. Now, some qualifiers and distinctions need to be made especially for those of us who are trying to walk in the way of Jesus. We have to make a distinction between judging on one hand and then discerning things or assessing things or evaluating people on the other, right? So we all need to assess and evaluate people sometimes, right? That's part of life. We have to answer these kind of questions all the time. Do I trust this person to babysit my kids? That's discerning. That isn't judgment, right? Is this person telling me the truth or not? Should I enter into a relationship with this person? You know, courts and juries, should this person be allowed to be part of our society? Bosses, does this person have what it takes to make it in this position? We make evaluations like that all the time. 
We must, and it's good, and it's necessary. That's discerning, that's evaluating, assessing. But we have to be very careful to distinguish that kind of legitimate discernment and assessment from what I'm calling judgment, looking down on people. We also have to make a distinction between judgment and correction. In the history of Christianity, these two terms have become very blurred. And Christianity, as many of us have experienced, has had within itself a culture that often leaned towards judgment. Throughout its history, the church has had a tendency to make some things central that in fact are not. And to decentralize the important things that need our focus. Our focus, our domain again, loving God, loving people. If we don't do that, nothing else means anything. So judgment is when we call out a perceived evil or wrongdoing in another person without loving them. It's when we draw attention to someone else's wrong just to draw attention to it. And then with ungenerous, fault-finding spirit, we make a declaration about that person's identity or character. Judgment's always rooted in selfishness and self-righteous motives. It deals in absolutes, it leaves no room for grace, and judgment never changes anybody. Dallas Willard put it this way, he says, When we condemn another, we really communicate that he or she is, in some deep and just possibly irredeemable way, bad. Bad as a whole, and to be rejected. So we have to think through this difference between the correction and judgment. Because when we read stuff like Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he says that we're to correct sinful believers, or when a friend of ours is in sin or in bondage, so much so that we believe that the sin is actually going to lead to spiritual death or emotional death or physical death or whatever it may be, we have to ask ourselves, what are we to do? And when we look at this text, the temptation might be just to reason that judgment means that we don't have to think or discern or that we don't have to call anybody out. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's not asking us to surrender the the prayer or the prophetic seeking or the, the practice of distinguishing and discerning how things are or how someone's doing in order to avoid judgment. He's showing us how we're to train ourselves to hold people responsible without attacking their worth as a human being or making them feel rejected. And that's like master-level stuff. There's something deep in, it, in, in this that Jesus is calling us to as disciples. Because sometimes correction is needed for others and for, and for ourselves. And for the disciple of Jesus, it should be something that we receive openly and humbly. Right? All of us are prone to wander. I mean, come thou fount. Song hundreds of years old. Right? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is everyday human life. So why would we ever build defenses around ourselves that would keep people who can help steer us back onto the narrow path? And it isn't easy. Nobody likes to be corrected. My initial response is always like, oh, I'm glad you noticed the speck in my eye. I'm surprised you could see it with that log in your stupid head. You know? (laughs) That's my move. That's the way I like to do it. That's my first reaction, right? But there are scriptures all over the place that say that, like, for those who are actually willing to take correction, they're marked as people who are wise. Those who can need correction are those who will be entrusted with much, the Bible says. 
So what we have to get here is that correction is a tool that God uses to grow and transform us. And it should be a regular part of the life of a disciple if we're actually going to be shaped into Jesus' likeness. Now, correction, just to distinguish it from judgment, is when we draw out wrong in another person to bring them back on the path of Jesus so that they can progress, their, their kingdom character can continue, can continue. And we do it in a loving way. And we do it in a way that seeks the good of the individual. We do it in a way that's rooted in love and humility. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, all right? So if you don't live by the Spirit, you're disqualified from correcting people. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you've ever had to correct someone, you know it's one of like the hardest things to do. It's a hard thing because you're humbled by the reality of your own sin and your own weakness, and yet you know this is the most loving thing to say, right? Hey, this thing's out of alignment. If you're really excited that you get to correct someone, you should not be the one that corrects them. You understand what I mean? With judgment, we're seeing fault. With correction, we actually see the person behind the fault. And we look for the good. And we believe for the, good, for the good in them and for them. That's the giant distinction here. So, okay. How do we avoid being judgmental people? Number one. Number one, you need to focus on yourself. Which is a sentence you'll never hear from our church ever again. All right? But there you go. And what I mean is, you need to get the plank out of your own eye. You need to deal with the sin the pain, the insecurity, the loneliness, the desire for change, all the motivations that cause us to be judgmental of others. You need to deal with that stuff. You need to regularly, intentionally, and actively take an inventory about your loneliness, about your insecurity, about the places you desire to see change in your life, about those places that you're failing or that you're, you know, your weakness or whatever it may be. It's, it's an active, intentional thing. Because if we don't deal with that stuff, it will spill out onto others in a hurtful and damaging way. It is true. Hurt people, hurt people. Shamed people, shame people. The root of judgmentalism is always something out of line inside the judger. So if you find yourself judging, your first instinct should be like, oh, what's going on with me? Get the plank out of your own eye. Deal with your own sin. Deal with your pain. Deal with what's happening with you. That's the first step in moving away from being a judgmental person. Next, take your thoughts captive. We talked about this some last week. Not every thought is helpful. So we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Which in the original language is this picture of like holding up our thoughts to God and saying like, is this, is this actually helpful? Is this honoring to you? And is it honoring to them? Is it honoring to the other person to share this information or to say this thing? If it's not, discard it. If it is, then you say it. Next, look for the good and believe the best in the other people. Right? If you're a judgmental person, then you're oftentimes fixating on a thing that others aren't good at or have failed at. But our mandate as follower of Jesus, is to love. Which means, 
believing the best of everyone. F.B. Meyer once said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. He says, first, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. Second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. If your natural propensity is to see the worst in people, there's probably a reason that's out of alignment. There's an injury there. I would imagine God wants to bring healing to that. And ultimately, the call here is to see people as Jesus sees them. right? And to move past the desire for, in us to, to play God and to judge people. Jesus is calling us to this place of humility. Where he's saying, like, be like me. See people as I see them. To do that, to see people like Jesus does, we have to know him. We have to know his character. So I encourage us, like first, read the Gospels. Then read them again. Then read them again, over and over and over. Just watch how Jesus treated people. People that everyone else judged. People that everyone else had reasons to judge. Did not feel judged in his presence. They felt loved. And secondly, spend some time with Jesus this week, however that works for you, where you just let him love on you. And you drink deeply of that well of his love because that's the fuel that the kingdom runs on. It's the love of Christ that compels us. Get all your life from God. Agree with God that every person you come into contact with has unsurpassable worth. And that's so freeing and liberating. Because you never realize how much of a burden it is to be the judge of the universe until you stop doing it. Amen. Amen. Um, the ministry team wants to come forward. We have prayer available for everybody. Anybody who wants prayer. We'll have some folks up here at the front who, who would love to pray for you. Um, I would encourage you to come forward and get prayer if that's what you want. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for your outrageous love. Lord, just thank you for your example of how you loved people. Lord, just empower us and remind us through the Holy Spirit to be people who live with outrageous love towards all people at all times and all situations. No ifs, ands, or buts, or exception clauses, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen.